Hello and welcome along to the ILC podcast brought to you in association with corporate partners Axo Noble, Allied Universal, Autoglass, BHR Assist, CAPS, Carpenters Group, Claims Consortium Group, Copart, CoreLogic, DAC Beechcroft, Davies, E2E, Integral, Enterprise, Gemini, GeoBear, GT Motive, ICAB, Innovation Group, SNG Response, Sedgwick, Solera Auditex, Synetic, and Thinko. Welcome along, everybody, to the ILC podcast, where we catch up with some of the leading figures from across the insurance claims sector. In this episode, we get the opportunity to talk to Chris McKilduff, Chief Customer Officer at Davis Consulting, to discuss his role and how the processes we adopt and the training we offer industry colleagues is vital to support customers. We cover customer journeys, the role technology can play, and how the human touch is essential. You will also hear a bit about Chris and what his alter ego might be doing now if he hadn't followed his current career path. And something different for this podcast in that I've handed over the microphone to my colleague Sue White, Chief Business Officer here at I Love Claims. I'm sure you'll agree. She's done a fantastic job. Enjoy the recording. Okay, so it's a great big welcome to Chris McElduff from Davies Consulting and Technology. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. It's a welcome pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here and great to be with you, Sue. Fantastic. So just as a start point, if we can, I'm looking forward to this chat, but tell us more about the business and I guess a bit about your job role. Yeah, so the Davies Group provides an array of different services to organisations in regulated markets, a large part of which are the insurance markets. The part of the business that I sit within is a business unit called Consulting and Technology, And largely what we are doing is helping kind of regulated and other um, non-regulated businesses, consumer businesses, improve how they support customers, improve how they attract, develop, motivate colleagues and create value from doing that. So we, we, we do lots in insurance, but we also do lots in other markets because, you know, I'm a big advocate that you can learn more from people that are not your close competitors sometimes so but big emphasis on insurance for us um, and you know exciting opportunities in that space. I was going to say in terms of the product lines as well across insurance what's all the range of product lines that you cover Chris? You know when we talk about insurance markets we play across you know many of them so PNC composite insurers you know um, MGA markets whether that's some of the the markets around the Lloyds, you know, um, market. So we play into all those and and the range of products and services that we provide, you know, go from all things to do with insurance claims, Mm -hmm. which we're going to be talking a little bit about today, through to a whole load of um, incubation and startup, you know, services, um, you know, captive management, you know, services. And then in our business unit, it's it's a combination of things that are about you know, helping businesses improve themselves, change, transformation, be that to support growth or be that to kind of realign, you know, um, how well people do things. And within that, it can be, you know, things to do with people and colleagues or it can be technology or it can be the ways of working. You know, we do a lot into the market, lots of individual products and services. But mm-hmm. what we do is we, we, in our business, you know, we bring it all together to talk about how do you improve experiences for customers mm-hmm. and colleagues? And in doing so, create value and reduce risk for the business. Okay. And in terms of, are we talking motor, home and property travel? What yeah. does it extend across? Yeah, yeah. Across the whole gambit, really. We do lots in those that we mentioned, but then we do lots in specialty, kind of insurance. And look, all of these different product and markets are very, very different. So yeah, I mean, insurance claims, as we'll talk about, varies massively, you know, depending on what the product is. So we are um, supporting organisations and their customers around, um, you know, most products, really. Can I jump to the conclusion claims? Sorry, the consulting and technology is agnostic to the product, whether a motor, home, travel, etc. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, our business unit um, in Davies um, operates globally. And we operate across insurance, but also other markets. And that's because, you know, as I said earlier, you can look at how to create digital experiences and learn from other markets 
more than your close competitors in, in the insurance market. So we, you know, we do work with retailers, telcos, finan okay. other financial services businesses, public bodies, and bring some of that thinking together when we look at insurance um, customers and, and help them to improve the way in which they organize and enact supporting customers and motivating and retaining colleagues as part of a, a critical part of that. Okay, so Chief Customer Officer is the role now, but kind of what's taken you in terms of a career path to this? Am I right, you started out in IT? Oh yeah, yeah, I mean a long time ago I was a software developer. I figured out pretty pretty early I wasn't very good at it. Um, so I, <laughs> I went into a kind of IT line management kind of career and then moved into customer operations and then I moved into consulting. And the, the area of consulting that I moved into was customer experience, customer operations, kind of consulting. And that was working across different markets. Again, looking at how can, you know, um, how can you, you know, articulate a strategy to the board, get investment, make changes that are to the benefit of the customer, but critically make changes that create value for the business, be that growth or profitability or just removing risk from things. So I did consulting and then the business that I was in was, was acquired by Davies a few years ago. So, you know, we brought, we brought that capability into our business unit. And as, as you may be aware, we're quite an acquisitive group. So we, we've added lots and lots around that. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a path that's always had customer at the core of it. Even back when I was in technology roles, it was often building solutions that supported customers and were used by colleagues. So that thread has, has really been at the, the core of what I've done over the years. So, um, so yeah. And I know our discussion is going to talk about kind of claims journeys and customers and colleagues, but can I just ask, you've mentioned a lot of customers and colleagues, what comes first in your mind, customer or colleague? Oh, it's a great, it's a great question. I, I think the reality today is people go for customer first. And that is just, uh, and often the colleague gets uh, forgotten about. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think you've got to look at them in lockstep with each other, because you know I don't I don't think there is a world where everything is technology. I think you're you're always going to have a world where, um, particularly in insurance and in the claim side of insurance, where there's emotion. You you need humans and you need empathy. So I think um, the, the reality is today probably more investment, pounds, dollars, euros are, are, are focused on customer facing things and um, more needs to be done on the colleague side. So I think that's an opportunity for the market to think differently, act differently. And, and certainly, as I'm sure we'll discuss, you know, the, the challenges in the market around attracting and retaining colleagues and the pressures that are on colleagues are, are very challenging today. Absolutely. So equal, equal and equilibrium, I think the same. I think so. And that comes to mindset, you know, that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit as we go. Okay. So just thinking about the market today, what are you seeing broadly when it comes to claims journeys? What do you think is good? Yeah, I mean, as we touched on a little bit earlier, it, it, it will vary based on, you know, products, you know, and, and um, you know, the type of claim, you know, because look, the, the simple truth is there's always going to be multiple paths. So there's going to be simple things and there's going to be complex things. But what I see today is, you know, most claims experiences and journeys are still anchored on it being a, a human as, as the first touch point, you know, although we are seeing a move towards more digital touch points, but, but largely because of legacy and, and, and embedded behavior, most claims experiences have that human at the front. But what I see is still some things that I think are there to be challenged. So I think claims operation, if I talk about operating model and the way we organize to support customers, claims operations have, have classically been separate from other customer operations. That's still the case. The structures within claims operations largely are still about separating people based on roles and, and, and some specialisms, but we're starting to see that change. So, you know, we are seeing in some organizations that 
customer service functions are, are starting to do more of that um, early part of the claim experience and some of the proactive engagement around the claim journey, but there's scope to do much, much more. I, I also see in, in particularly the large firms, you know, um, lots of big systems, programs and legacy still limiting their ability to um, prioritize and do things differently and, and start to break down the, the silos and, and ways of working. It's a very fragmented journey in some products. So if you think about, um, you know, a motor claim, you know, experience, there are lots of stakeholders involved in that. There's lots of stages that can be gone through. So the operations, the processes, the systems and the stakeholders is pretty fragmented. But I also see there being a, an increasing, well, it's a perennial, you know, kind of persistent thing, if you like, um, focus on cost. But, you know, naturally we're in a, we're at a time of year where the, in some, some markets, products, there is claims volumes that are, are higher. But that, so that focus on cost is something that um, is there forever, expense and indemnity. Um, and digital, you know, um, so what, what we're seeing is a lot of initiatives around creating digital, using automation, trying to use data for different things but they tend to still be a little bit siloed and fragmented. So, and, and mostly driven by cost and risk kidney exposure. So I think lots going on. Most organizations would be doing bits or some of all of these. Most would also, I think, recognize some of the kind of challenges that um, I described. And just talking on kind of automation, digitization for customers, are there some product lines that are lending themselves to a better journey doing that and some that just aren't? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think when you look at, um, you know, some products are going to be are very different from others. So where you've got a product, if, if I take two examples, if you look at, you know, travel and motor, very, very different, you know, different in terms of the, the, the context of a claim, the emotion, the urgency of it different in terms of the number of parties who may be involved in that. Uh, risks like fraud are very different. You know, that could be the number of parties involved or the type of fraud. And the values are very different. So when you put all those things together, you know, um, th there are some, some simpler, more straightforward things where digital is actually um, really convenient for a customer. Yeah. And they just want to kind of get it, get it done. Um, so, so digital and then automation as a as a as an element of that play out differently depending on the product. Um, um, you know, so I think it, you just need to think about that and you know um, zoom out a little bit and look holistically at what is it we're trying to do. And and in all these things, but what customers want is customers want for things to be easy and things to be settled. They don't necessarily need it in all products done there and then, but they, they, don't, they don't need high effort at a time often of um, stress, emotion, anxiety. So um, design the journey and the process is for the product. And do you think we're still on a journey to discover what the right claims journeys are across product lines and customer feedback? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and there is no one size fits all because of those variabilities that I describe. Um, and actually, things continue to change. You know, I mean, we've we've all been we've all been watching, you know, technological advances. You know, Chat GPT all over the the media in the last few weeks. So, um, customers and their expectations and how they engage with technologies is forever changing. And, the, and, and risks are ever changing. So I think that, that there is no one size fits all and the best organizations are the ones that are continually evaluating how those different um, elements are changing and evolving and bringing it back into thinking about how, how, will, they, how will they enhance their journeys and do things differently with their people, do things differently with their process and leverage different technologies in different ways. So just touching on technology there, and I think we know it's starting, well, it has done for a while playing a part, 
There are some challenges, as you say, with legacy systems that may prevent or make it harder to progress those. But what role do you see technology playing perhaps future-wise, now and future? Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, it's massive. I mean, there, there's a big, as I touched on a little bit, um, there's a big focus on data. There's a big focus on digital and a shift to that. There's automation. You know, so there's lots of technology potential. We do lots of work now in, in the unstructured data space where organizations are starting to, you know, mine for it, mine for insights and mine for risk or value indicators in telephone conversations or documents. So the, the, the role of technology is huge. I still think it is a little bit fragmented when you look at the claim journey in that you know, not enough organizations are zooming out. They're, they're tending to focus on how they might use data to enhance their fraud identification rather than looking more holistically at, at the role of data in supporting the customer journey and the outcomes. Um, so I think it, it will continue to play a very big role, but it's not the be all and end all. And um, I think as I've, I think I've said already, the role of humans is, is, is not, it's got a critical role to play in there. So how can technology help the human handler or, or advisor to play a role in that, that journey? Claim journey is really important. And again, that's an example of where other markets are much better at connecting their colleagues into customer journeys that you know may start on digital but then become um, non-digital or, or the other way around. So I think, I think the trick is to combine you know, zoom out a little bit, look at technology and look at the role of your people differently and then design the journeys, you know, so um, do that, you know, more holistically. And, and to help that, I think, you know, technology is ever evolving and, and, and the challenge that often we have is we only know what we know. So sometimes our team do a lot of work around, you know, changing customer journeys and customer and the colleague experience but we often start that by just you know um, equipping you know our client teams to understand what technology is out there and how things have changed and how we change perception so um, that little bit of um, education if you like stimulates teams to think differently you know about what what we can do lots of opportunities. So as kind of chief customer officer, what problems would you like to see tech solve going forward? If you had a kind of wish list to say these are the problems that you would love it to solve, what would that look like for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, let's use our data about the customer more effectively. So, you know, um, if I use myself as an example, I have bought the same insurance products from the same, you know, insurer for, for a number of years. They might say... I'm loyal. I might say, you know, um, I'm just lazy. However, they know an awful lot about me um, and they can use that more effectively. They can use that more effectively, I think, to engage me and to make, you know, if, if I did have a claim experience, much easier. So they would treat me personally. So I think, I think you know, organisations are not really tapping into what they know about customers. And then insurers in particular, I don't think are trying to know more about customers. So, okay. you know, it's, it's interesting. We've, we've done some work with some organizations where we tried to change the mindset from insurance to protection. And when you, when you start to talk about protection, you start to talk, link that to how my life and my family life changes. All of a sudden, you know, the, the, my insurance or protection needs start to change over time. Now. I would, I would, as an individual, I'd happily share some insight into that if it was going to be used to my benefit. So I think data, knowing more about our customers than we do today, and then um, using that to start certainly making claims experiences more personal and with some proactivity in it and, and more effective. But then, you know, more broadly, um, in a more broad sense than just the claim piece, than me and, and, and help meet my in, meet my protection needs is, is an opportunity for data. I also think that because of this point around fragmentation and looking at things in silos, you know, the, the reality is the end-to-end -end claim experience, just to generalize for a minute, is not great from a customer perspective. 
for sure there'll be a proportion who will be helped and it'll be resolved quickly. But if you think of that fragmentation in the journey, too often still, I think customers are coming looking for answers mm. and um, there's a lack of engagement and, and confidence that certain technologies can help with. If I link that back to the colleague, you know, handlers in claims operations or service operations are, are often the ones who are getting calls or, or getting kind of communication from customers who are quite frustrated at a time of emotion about things that could have just been better managed. So the colleague side of things, that employee kind of side of things certainly needs to be kind of thought about. So there's great technology that can help that. We see technologies like um, what, what, what some would call omni-channel technology, proactive communication technology. Yeah, there's some great technologies out there that can really, really improve that state of things. I think, like you say, because the claims part is emotional, if we can bring in that personalization, I think that would help on that journey. Um, yeah, and it, as I said earlier, it differs. I mean, if, if I've been involved in a, you know, a motor you know, accident and, and it's the only car that we have in the family, there's a range of emotions and, and immediacy about that that's very different from my baggage being lost if, mm -hmm. I, if I've come back from a trip or a holiday. Um, so, it, you know, context is really, really important because context and expectation, if you can meet them, then, you know, what you're going to be doing is, is doing the right thing for the customer. So, yeah. And I guess the challenge as well is that it's probably not for us to judge or make assumptions as to what is an emotional claim for someone or not. And that's no. what AI or tech could bring us to that. That perhaps doesn't need to be the colleague part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, there are some things that people just will always do better than machines. Um, and, you know, um, again, to generalise, insurance claims is an emotional, you know, um, anxiety fueled thing. So somewhere along the line, unless you can just fix the problem and resolve the thing quickly, you're going to need people to do that reassurance. So we need to be smarter in terms of how we use people. And look, you know, as, as we all know, you know, attracting and retaining people, you know, right now is probably one of the biggest challenges most firms have, most organizations have. So, you know, we've got to think about how we equip them to do a really great job and be motivated by that job. So the role of humans is not going away. We just need to deploy them smarter and put them in the place where they make the difference or they do the things that machines can't do. And that comes back to this design piece. Let's not design a piece of tech in isolation and a silo. Let's think about what it is we're trying to do and reflect the fact that not all customers are the same. We're human beings after all. So we, we got to design well to be able to kind of support well, essentially. So, so we know importance of colleagues and the human touch. And yeah. I'd be interested to know your view as to why you think attracting talent into the claims world is such a challenge at the moment? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's always been a challenge, if truth be told. But I think, I think you know, the, you know, the events of the last few years have just accelerated this. And by events in the last few years, I mean um, principally the pandemic, the shift to hybrid working. If you put that together with how we can, how we manage change in organizations, how we equip our people to be resilient, how we can develop those people. The organizations can always be better at that, but as we've moved to a hybrid model and as job opportunities from working at home have not been constrained by geography, mm -hmm. I, I think that has just made the challenge even, even bigger. And then more recently when we've seen the economic you know um, environment changing you know and the the cost of living crisis come in there you know um, colleagues will naturally be looking to seek new opportunities where they can they can they can earn more to support themselves and, and their families i think they have got a critical role always to play in creating the right experiences i think we need to use them more effectively in those experiences i think we need to equip them to be more resilient and feel that they are being developed and that they are 
not just doing repetitive things, they're doing things that make a difference, so they're empowered to do that. And, um, you know, the, the, the organizations that get that right are the organizations that will not have high attrition levels. And we'll, 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 we'll probably get to better, you know, settlements with our, with our teams around how to invest in them and, and, and get that right, you know. Um, so it's, it's more critical than ever, because when you put that together with, um, you know, times of the year like this in some insurance markets where claims volumes are high, you know, if you've not got the people and you've not redesigned the journey that you're doing more of that digital and hybrid kind of journey, then your service levels suffer. So there's yeah. there's some there's some cause and effect and some horrible cycles there that come into play. So hey, the employees, as I've said, colleagues have always been critical. I just think that we've we've not invested the, the thinking around their role. Um, that that we probably um, the best organisations are doing today. So we're saying we need to think more about the role and more about what the role looks like, and then how do we enhance those kind of new ways of working? Do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean um, the the role's interesting because I would generalise and say that we've not uh, most organisations, you know, whilst whilst many organisations are, you know, feels like sometimes always restructuring, have they really looked at the roles within their business beyond? changing the name of the role to help the restructuring efforts, I'm, I'm not sure. So I, I think creating kind of pathways for colleagues is really important. Now those pathways, if you start to link it to, hey, the, the, there could be different work we do. So imagine I'm a, a claims handler in a, in, a, in a motor insurance environment and I'm young in my career and um, I might start by taking, you know, ethnol calls or, calls that might come beyond that if we start to think about all of the customer engagement beyond ethnol and we start to use data and technology to understand that and manage how we push that work to colleagues or think about how we do more proactive engagement well actually my role as a claims handler could have several add-ons in terms of pathway mm. um, now, the other thing that's a constant in businesses is change. Probably, Kenny, you know, too, too much change and poorly executed change, if, if truth be told. But my role in the business in terms of how I contribute to change has some quite interesting development opportunities as well. Mm. Um, but the business has to be able to equip me to play a role in that. And then more broadly, I think within businesses, we're getting new ways of working and, and, and new roles being developed that come out of some of that change. So there's lots going on around data and, and, and analytics. There's lots going on around DevOps and, and squads that design and build things. So the pathway shouldn't be constrained to just, I'm a claims handler and my pathway is, has a natural ceiling. We should be looking at the job roles and how we can evolve them as we evolve the operating model. So I think our operating model, we're still set up largely in big teams handling specific customer demand types or you know, workflow you know, um, activities. We need to think about how technology and our human development pathways can, can evolve to make my career you know, clearer um, with, with, with various options. And then back that up by having the investments in our our learning and development, we do a lot in the learning and development, you know, side of things, but having those pathways that, that people can be really motivated by, because that will also then help on retaining them. And it'll also help with the, the, the perception of the total value of working with an organization. Absolutely. It's that feeling valued, being able to see a career path and development and yeah. enhancing that knowledge and skills, yeah. which is what most people are looking for. Yeah, and I think you know the, the the barrier to some of the barrier to these things is just the way people think about structures and roles and how we support customers. You know, there's a bit of a legacy mindset around these things. That's the reason not a lot of the structures have changed fundamentally, and that's what that's part of the reason we're not exploiting some of the technology and data opportunities. You know, um, differently. So look, I mean, part of what we do is um, that that provocation, facilitation, thought, you know, bring, bring some of that thinking together to help businesses 
reimagine what their model can be and do it for the betterment of customers and colleagues, because ultimately that will reduce risk, make sure that their resources are, are, are focused on the things that customers value most and that that creates value. And in terms of measuring those changes, those developments, whether through tech or colleagues, what's in your view is the best way to measure the success of those? Oh, I mean, metrics and measures. I mean, you know, um, most organisations have got so many of them, too many of them, actually. So I, th- I think what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to, if I look at the colleague side of things, what you've got to do is you've got to, you know, properly invest in how are our colleagues feeling about what they do for us and the road ahead. Most organisations do, you know, surveys and pulse surveys. Um, I think we can go beyond that and start to kind of bring more value from the conversations that they might have with their you know, team, team coaches or team managers, whatever the role is called, so that we properly understand where we're meeting the needs of that. But then I think we need to combine it with the right metrics on the customer side. And do we understand the things that customers value at the point of a journey that they value the most? So rather than, for example, saying, well, let's measure our net promoter score mm-hmm. overall and, and, and make that a metric that drives, you know, um, remuneration for leadership teams. Let's try and really break that down and say, well, where are the things that matter most mm-hmm. and over index on making sure we do that. So um, I think the simplifying the metrics is a, is a key thing, but then looking for the things that really matter on both sides. So getting below the headline things and, and, and you know, over-indexing on the things that will um, either make or break an employee or a customer experience. So to put that into kind of a, a, a live scenario on that motor, the fragmented process that it has, we could be asking them to rate how was that initial call with the handler they could put that as a 10, but actually the performance of the repairer is perhaps the most value to them in terms of the performance of that claim. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, if we think about that being a motor, perhaps a motor example, um, we should challenge even whether it's a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if I'm in a family fortunate enough to have multiple cars yeah. and um, it's not a big inconvenience, then, you know, the way in which I look at the repairer part of things is going to be very different from somebody that, as I said earlier, um, needs their car, needs the car back. So I think, you know, the data collection is all there It's or can be there. It's, how, it's about how we interpret it and stop measuring things as a one-size-fits-all. Break it down and zoom in and be prepared to take the action off the back of it. I think that, that more, more intelligence is needed there. And what we are seeing is, as I said earlier, we do lots of work with firms looking at um, how we can extract insight from telephone calls, as an example. So there, there are things said within telephone calls that never get captured in systems. Mm-hmm. But we can, we, can, we can draw out from that things that give us, from the customer's you know, mouth, if you like, what really matters to them. And use that to say, well, did we can he, did we do this? Did we make the intervention? Did we miss something? So, you know, I think that unstructured data starts to become um, really important when we're measuring customer and colleague experience alongside some of the traditional methods like surveys and, and things like that. You've got to you've got to broaden the data up a little bit. And on that kind of unstructured data, so the customer's voice, if I put it into that category, what do you see are the best ways we can capture that data? How do we normalise that data? Because would one colleague view something differently to another? What what thoughts on how we could make sure that that data is then um, stable enough to make assumptions and change? Yeah, I mean, that data, I mean, um, the, the technology to allow you to take, for example, telephone calls and turn that into data that allows you to interrogate it is, is pretty mature data. You know, we've got some customers who transcribe 100% of the calls they manage in and out with customers. A lot of the cost is in the processing of that, and the cost has come down massively. 
So there's an infrastructure technology thing that enables that. But then what you do is you've got to you've got to build the analysis on top of it that mm. will look to you know variances between customers. So why are they contacting us? What are they contacting us about? Um, what's their context? What do they value? And do the same with colleagues so that you can understand what makes customers different and what can have customers expectations, what drives different expectations. And the same with colleagues. You know, what makes a great, you know, if, if, if you and I, Sue, both received some motor, you know, or, or any kind of insurance claims calls, what makes you handle them differently from me? What we can do is we can start to look at the conversation, the way in which empathy is applied, the language you use. Use that then to build coaching to make me better and in a targeted way. So those technologies that allow you to take conversations or, or, or written communication, put it in a place where you can start to say, well, you know, we had a bunch of ethanol calls here, right? Let's look for some of the differences in the customer side of things and how we dealt with that. You can do the same on the colleagues side. How did Sue and Chris manage these interactions? And, and what does that mean in terms of the development that they're needed and the consistency that, with which we're doing that? You know, I think there's much, much more we can do. Some of that, some of that technology is, is used pretty well across the industry just now. But, and by that, I mean it's been deployed. What I don't think we're doing is really, you know, exploiting its full potential to the extent we could. And do you think that would make a significant difference in claims journey if we use that data more effectively in terms of coaching and training? Well, I, I think it makes it makes a difference, but it's not the the, the only thing. You know, I, I think um, there, there's lots that can be done to make the claims journey much better. So that's an example of are we listening? Do we understand what the need is and the context is? So for sure, using data to do that is better, makes things better. But if I look at the kind of claim journey overall, you know, um, there's there's lots of scope to use other technologies. So, you know, um, and, and, it, and it all comes back to, for me, zooming out a little bit and, and thinking not just about a part of the claim journey. So the part of the claim journey where it's the telephone call on ethanol, it's zoom out and, and think about it a little bit more broadly and then think about how we can change the approach, use technology in a different way. So the, the ideal claim journey in some instances is going to be, you know, me having the ability to, to, to log it either via a phone call or via a digital thing for the insurer to know who I am, understand first time what the issue is, and resolve it because they know enough about me to resolve that. And, and of course, if that's a travel claim, it might be about, you know, a payment to replace my baggage if it's, if it's lost and it's not going to be found. If it's a, a motor claim that's had several parties involved, manage it and proactively manage it. Avoid me having to kind of say, Cricky, what's happening with the replacement car or the repair? You use the data and technology to keep me informed. Give me the confidence that you, you, you're on it. Even where there are complexities, make sure you're keeping me informed and, on, and working on my behalf, really. How well do you think we do from consumers and customers in terms of confidence in claims processes across the board? I, I don't think good enough. I don't think we do well enough. I mean, um, you know, if you look, if you look at external um, data points around how satisfied or customers are with organizations it's it's not improving mm -hmm. and um there's always going to be a proportion who we get it right for and get it right first time for but i think we can do much much better part of that doing much much better are some of the things i said and part of it as i said is about measuring the right things i think we need to have a bit of a different mindset to that i mean if, if i look at how many organizations still think about customer experience you know some will have it as a little function that sits in a part of the business that doesn't really have an awful lot of influence so i think we need to be we need to we need to bring that to the fore more and actually you know have the leadership that you know um, are, are, are empowered really to make big decisions about doing things right for the customer and believing that doing that maybe it'll cost a little bit more at times you know, the, the value goes beyond the cost of a claim 
the value becomes then, well, we're likely to retain somebody and they're going to talk positively about us. And, you know, in the future, you know, they'll maybe be more amenable to us meeting more of their protection needs. So I think lots of scope to improve. Okay, which is good. It's good to, good yeah, to have. absolutely. And if we think then about, you know, as you said at the start, highly regulated industries, certain insurance and claims, and we have the consumer duty, which is now very much at central part or should be central part of what we're doing. So how do you see that changing perhaps or influencing what we do for customers, Chris? Yeah, I might be wrong here, but it's, it feels like it's the biggest thing to, you know, come to financial services markets in a long time. And I think it's a really positive thing, you know, certainly in terms of what, what it's seeking to do from a customer point of view. So I think that that needs to have much more of a role and be much more of a stimulus to look at how organisations are really looking at their journeys and the processes and the measures. Because I think the truth is not everybody is really improving, you know, changing themselves enough to meet those guidelines that the, the FC have set out. Um, lots and lots of work going on there. But what I'm not seeing enough of is that zoom out, think about the journeys, think about how we can change those journeys, thinking about how we create the right metrics and and uh, measures to make sure we are meeting those kind of customer outcomes. There's a danger that some of the underpinning fragmentation and legacy thinking and competing priorities is not being tackled. So whilst all of, there's a lot of really you know, significant work going on in firms just now, is it embedding something that's different and embedding something that you know, overcomes these legacy challenges of the way we think competing priorities, fragmentation, cost out customer experience not been out before time will tell and it'll be interesting to see how the fca you know starts to you know um, engage with firms you know um you know going forward to to really assess how um how they're how they're building that into their way of working their culture you know how they do things with all these things certainly regulated there's an awful lot of documentation and wording around it but in your view if you like or your opinion what do you think they are asking us to do in terms of claims under the Consumer Duty Act? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, not an expert on the regulatory kind of side of things, but if, if I think about this simply, you know, we, we sell insurance products to customers that have got some terms and conditions. You know, first up, and it's been around for a while, do customers really understand those terms and conditions? And then across the insurance life cycle, where the customer is engaging us, and their expectation is that we will do certain things. Are we meeting those certain things? So I think that there's a number of things that go in there. You know, do customers really understand the terms and conditions that they've bought? That's always been a challenge. If we think about ways we can look at that, is there a different way to engage and, and not just sell a policy and, and wait until somebody claims or renews? Can we help customers really understand what um, protection that they have. So I think it's, you know, it's about being able to understand expectation and reality. And then when those two things come together, you know, make sure that we are, we're measuring them and meeting those expectations. But there's a lot in that. There's, there's technology and how that can help. There's the, the digital journey. There's the ongoing engagement in the journey. There's the competence of our people in terms of being able to articulate, you know, terms and conditions and how, you know, if a customer doesn't know the terms and conditions and we get to a point of claim, then, then there's point of friction there. So we need to, we need to address that. Okay. And then in terms of the measures that we've set in line with the Consumer Duty Act, do you think everyone is consistent across the market as to what those measures are or should be, or is there some difference of opinion? I don't have any data really to, to, to answer that question. So what I can see is the interpretation of the consumer duty um, requirements is pretty consistent. I think firms are, are acting on their um, processes and approach and measures in a, a consistent way. What, what I don't see is people kind of um, enough, enough organizations doing that thing of zooming out and saying, well, actually, when we've finished this consumer duty program, 
are the fundamental things that create challenges, fragmentation, legacy thinking, competing priorities? Have we, have we really addressed them? Or are we going to start to get to a point where, you know, um, one part of our business does something in it, it pulls another part in a different direction? So yeah. I think there's some work to be done there. So before we go to a couple of quick fire question rounds, I guess my, my, my final question would be, what sector of insurance or claims do you feel is primed for the greatest change in the near future and why? Oh, great question. I mean, <laughs> probably partially answer it, right? But it's going to be very different depending on what part of the market is. Mm -hmm. So if I use the travel and the motor side of things, just because I've used that example a couple of times, it's going to be much easier to be better on the travel side of things because there's less complexity in it and there's less immediacy in it. So being able to create you know, a really, really great experience there and give the customer the confidence you're on it and you fix it quickly is much more doable than a complex you know, motor situation. Now, there will be some motor situations that are simple and straightforward. I've bumped into something, I'm insured, there's nobody else involved. We can do better there. But I think, you know, where there is more fragmentation, it, it takes longer to, to get the right model there. And you need much more of that holistic view and that different thinking. And look, I, I would say this, wouldn't I? But that's where some of our teams are helping customers to think differently and bash into those competing priorities and think about the effect of different technology deployed different ways, operating model, roles of colleagues and how that can make a difference. So there's no one answer to that. I think, you know, you know, and sitting under both of those examples, there are different cost pressures and, and value kind of elements to it. So I think, you know, in both instances, you just got to zoom out a little bit, think holistically, try and act as one organization for the betterment of customers and colleagues, and you get the right outcomes. Yeah, I think, like you said, I don't think there's one answer to that, is that back to your comment earlier, which is, travel may be primed to become simpler or effective for a customer but what does the customer need do they put more importance on the motor aspect rather than travel yeah. it, i guess is forever look, the, the risks are different i mean because if i generalize i mean digitizing and automating things can have some risks slip through the net so we've got some customers that have done you know great things around straight through processing and automation but what they've seen is some of their loss ratios, you know, affected. That doesn't mean what they're doing is wrong. It just means they've got to continually be, be looking to work, work at that. Sometimes we talk about the insurance market as one thing. It's not. You know, we, we've the examples I've used today have been along the personal line side of things. Commercial and specialty are, are a whole different kind of gambit of stakeholders' risk. you got to just think, you know, go back to those first principles of, you know, looking at what it is, who the customer and the stakeholders are, what it is that we're trying to do, and how do we balance those things? Good thinking and, and provocation and design. Fabulous. So I've learned an awful lot about customers, colleagues, journey. So thank you very much for that. Just before we finish, if you can do two or three questions about Chris, things oh, that people Christ might not know, that's okay. So what's one thing people might not know about you, Chris? Claim to fame. <laughs> well, I'm not sure there's any claims to fame. A couple of things people might not know about me. I touched on, um, and I'll show my age here a little bit, people of a technology mind, but I used to be a, what, what's called a pro COBOL developer. Okay. So I used to work as part of a big team that built things on mainframes and it was kind of dull compared to what technology is all about now. <laughs> Not many people would recognize that I used to be a developer, but these are in the days when development was um, you know, not as glamorous and certainly more in the more in the back office side of things. So that's something people wouldn't know about me. What else wouldn't they know about me? I didn't go to university until I was in my twenties. Okay. Um, I was a, I like to describe it as a child of the nineties. Mm -hmm. So I, I left school, went to work, enjoyed life, and then then woke up one morning and said, right, it's time to go and get that, you know, education under my belt. Mm -hmm. And that runs on my family, actually. My my dad, my mum and dad who are retired now, both left school, went to work, 
started to you know build a family and then my dad became an accountant and had a, a great career in, in the defense industry and my mum became a teacher I was a teacher all her life so we've got a bit of a habit in the, or a trend in, in our family that says hey go find yourself first and then think about being serious and being adult and recognizing that you'll be working for a long time well the formula seems to be working but if I were to kind of your career and where you are now what's your alter ego looking to do at this point in your career if you could oh, I listen I mean, you know Scottish boy you know I'd have to say my alter ego would have thought he could have been a footballer but that was that was disproportionate with as my pals would say um, my capability as a footballer so my alter ego might be a retired footballer just now Gone into management of football do you think by this stage or are you I don't well I don't know I mean you know um but, but management's a different thing, you know, nowadays. So, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure even the Alex Ferguson's of today would would be able to manage some of the the, the players and the, the the culture around football today. So, I think, you know, if I'd been a, a great footballer, I might just have, I might just have um, enjoyed the fruits of my labour. That's really interesting. And my last question would be: so, throughout all your career, then, what's the best bit of business advice you've heard, received, seen? What what would it be? Yeah, early in my technology kind of leadership roles, I worked with a a chap who had been in manufacturing all his life. Like a lot of good manufacturing kind of guys, it's incremental gains. So he he always used the expression, best is the enemy of better. So continually improve. And for a young technologist, this was really important because as a young technologist, I would see the next big thing and you'd want to get into the next big thing. And that would be super exciting. But, you know, you would always anchor our conver- my conversations with him back on value and what is it we're trying to do. And, and so very rarely in life do people do the big bit, go for best. You know, some do it, do it well. but I think as a, as a mantra, just continually get better. Be that how you might use technology, be that how you are in yourself. So, yeah, that, that would probably be the, the bit that stuck with me most. Well, and I think if, if we think about what you're doing now in the conversation today, it's all about being better. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of that is storytelling. And what I mean by that is back to what I said earlier in the session, you can learn more from people that are not closest to you sometimes. So in insurance and insurance claims, we can learn from other market who've had that combination of customer emotion digital stakeholder fragmentation we can learn lots from that and if we don't we've got to remember that increasingly our customers are are benchmarking us in terms of expectation against the amazons of the world as an example so we've got to do that wonderful so thank you ever so much for joining me today who knows there could be a sequel and a follow-up because I think we've only just touched on some subjects. But no, thank you very much for today, Chris. Yeah, well, listen, thanks for having me, Sue. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. There you have it. A huge thank you for Chris for taking the time to talk to Sue. Thoroughly enjoyable conversation, and I hope everyone listening in enjoyed it as much as we did. You've been listening to the ILC podcast. Many thanks for listening.